Our guest today is a longtime friend of Kenny's who has distinguished herself as a television director. Beth McCarthy Miller directed Saturday Night Live for, I believe, 11 years. She's been nominated, if Wikipedia is up to date, 10 times for a Primetime Emmy Award. Um, she's directed too many TV shows to mention, but I am going to mention some of them. There's Veep, 30 Rock, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Community, Californication, Modern Family, The Good Place, The Kaminsky Method. You get it. It goes on and on. So why don't we just bring out Beth McCarthy Miller? Come on also, out, Beth McCarthy, on Miller. Out, Beth McCarthy Miller. We Hi. got state-of-the-art microphones. Let me get I know. Well, we oh, went on COVID. We got these mics for cable reads, and it's pretty fancy. Oh, really? I did not purchase this. <laughs> Kenny, you were saying? No, I, she got nominated for 10 to... Emmys. 10 Emmys? Yes. Uh, Beth, did you win any of them? Oh, always no. a bridesmaid? I am, I am the Susan Lucci of the primetime Emmy. <laughs> I am always a bridesmaid, never a bride. I won DGA awards, never an Emmy. And I used to go, I'm the youngest of nine. And when I started getting uh, uh, nominated for Saturday Night Live, my whole family would come out like <laughs> spouses. So it'd be like 35 people at a hotel. We'd go to the Emmys. We'd be on the red carpet. I'd have siblings embarrassing me because they'd start talking to some celebrity and being like, oh, you know, my sister back, she's nominated. And um, I would lose every time. So I just stopped going. You know what? You're going to they're going to have to at one point give you one of life achievement. Things. No. <laughs> no, they don't have. Yeah. I know it's a cliche, but you were nominated. The closest I and ever got to the Emmys is I I got to be uh, I got to sit once. Yeah. I was a, a cedar, you know, oh, one of those people you're a seat filled, filler. I was a, a seat filler. Nice. And this was this was after I was on SNL. Yeah. <laughs> I, I went to becoming a seat filler, but at least your agent got you something. Gary. <laughs> exactly. Well, I, I got to the award show. So, hey, uh, let's start with you and Kenny. OK, you from what I understand, mm -hmm. you Kenny was my were, first boss. Mm. Yeah. Go, hey, go into that. <laughs> What's Kenny like as a boss? So I got a job. Um, working at MTV, I got an internship for the summer. And then after it, uh, there was a job opened up at the studio and I got the job as being the line producer's assistant, which was this guy, Alan Newman. And Alan Newman worked for Kenny, who was the vice president of the department. So at the time, MTV was like a factory. We would shoot all day, day and night five days a week, because we'd have to do seven days of programming. So every, anytime you saw a VJ on camera, we were shooting all that at the studio. So I was Alan's assistant and I would fill in. MTV was literally a Judy Garland, Mickey Rooney movie, wasn't it, Ken? It was like, my mom has some costumes. My dad has a barn. Let's we had no budget. Here's an old piece of wood. It, it was, was always no budget. There's no there was money. No money. So I think I was making $14,000 a year. I think I was making a little bit of overtime. And if like the control room PA called out sick, I would be the control room PA. And if, if, you know, I would just fill in and do stuff along with, you know, doing all the stuff that I did for Alan. And then my boss went on this trip called a muck in America. They went on, they went on the road I and they, it. um, it was like the beginning of that kind of reality television stuff. And I'm sorry, I'm turning off my mail because it's <laughs> noises and annoying me. And uh, so Alan was gone. So I was in the studio 
And Kenny would call me and yell at me when like things got on the air that weren't supposed to go on the air. And I'm like, you're where I make $14,000 a year and I'm being made responsible for what gets on the air. Well, that's because somebody was yelling at, that's because somebody was yelling at me. Yes. Okay. You have to understand there was somebody right behind me. Yes. Look, exactly. I've, known, I've known Kenny for a long time. I think like 30 years. Yeah. I've never heard that side of Kenny before. So he well, was kind of an asshole. Are you kind of an asshole? I mostly, no, I, I, I think not. I sound, I probably sounded like I was whining. No, he what's was. going he on? Was. But the thing that was so funny about it was it was MTV. It was like the line producer's assistant was becoming responsible six months after she had the job of what was getting on the air. But that was the beauty of that place. You know, I started directing when I was 25. Well, let's get to that because, you know, that's the big move is moving into the director's chair. And that is a great story because I took jobs to make more money. I had no career path at MTV, except for I knew I wanted to be in television and I loved music. And, and it you was found a perfect out Kenny was an asshole. I, no, Kenny was a good boss. Stop All it. Right. But I was I'm making fun of him because I was literally, you know, the the assistant and going, uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that that information got off wrong. I'll, uh, I'll fix it. <laughs> But anyway, so I just took whatever job. So they trained me to be an AD and it was a little more money. And I waitressed on the weekends and I worked at the Gap at Christmas time. So I would get a discount so I could buy Christmas gifts for my 450 family members. And um, I was going to take there was associate producer jobs and director jobs. So when you became an AP, you got like a big promotion. You got more money and you work with the talent on the floor. So a job opened up and I was going to take it. And uh, the directors that I worked for at the time, Scott Fishman and Milton Leach, they pull me aside and they're like, please don't take this job. And I'm like, it's more money. I'm taking the job. And And they had the foresight of saying, I think you're skilled in this direction. I think you should become a director. A job will open up in the next six months if you sit tight. And this is the path you should take. And this is a skill that you can take somewhere else where a lot of some of the other jobs at MTV, you really, they didn't really translate in the real world. Um, and that was the best advice I ever took. And I, I am curious about this. Were you aware? I was not aware that you're moving into the director's seat was somewhat of a pioneering thing because there really weren't that many women directors. Did it even occur to you? It didn't really occur no. to you then. No, it was Peggy Polito was. A, yeah, Peggy Polito. Very good. Yes. From Pittsburgh, PA. Yeah, well, and that was something that MTV did that was kind of progressive because the truth it of the matter was, was I didn't know any. I knew, I knew one person who I think Arsenio Hall, Sandy Fullerton. I don't know if you yeah. know Sandy. That was the only woman director I knew who was a control room director. Yeah, but I actually really thought that it wasn't uh, uh, there. Let me ask a question, because if I'm a viewer or a listener, I'm, I'm asking this question. So you talk about that career path. Was it simply experience from observation and the other jobs that? When a directing job became available, you would be considered or were you required to take some sort of class? No. So as an no, as an associate director, when you're at MTV, you're doing that job almost five days a week. And you think about other directors that do sit in a control room. They maybe direct once a week, once every two weeks. You know, you're in the director's chair three to five days a week. So you either get better at it. Or you should find something else to do. Or you work for Kenny. <laughs> but 
but as an associate director, they would bring in fill-in directors. And lots of times you're basically directing from the AD chair and my, you know, my bosses were noticing that and noticing that I had an eye and I had the skill level and I was basically directing for the director that was being hired for the day. And that's when they kind of thought, you know, you should really go in this direction and they guide you along the way. I mean, they were both very talented directors and I always, you know, sought advice from them. And the good thing about MTV is when you first start directing, you're doing really simple, easy stuff. So you can just work on your skills. And as you get better, there's more involved shows. And I started at MTV kind of at the really golden time. It was right when they started making their own programming. So remote control was being made and it was like, mm-hmm. do you know how to AD a game show? It's like, no, it's like, figure it out. So, mm-hmm. you know, it was, it was that kind of experience where we started making shows and I got experiences that I never would have gotten anywhere else. Well, you know, what's curious that I think back on that is that it, it worked out great that we had given everybody the opportunity, but a big reason was, is because we were all non-union. Yeah. To go out and find somebody who had experience in those roles would have mean DGA. Yep. And all these people. And, and yeah. So what happened is we were giving kids the opportunity. And I was a kid too, the opportunity to do these things, but as kind of a, but just don't, don't join the union. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was like going to graduate school and making a tiny bit of money, but yeah. it was greatest thing in the world because and you know kenny i think about that because i know before i got there there was that big decision on whether to go union or not and at the time the dga has a lot more things in place for you know low budget things and cable but at the time they didn't and i think mtv probably would have gone out of business well at that point i think so i I think so does this path exist anymore then i'm basically hearing path i don't think many places maybe i don't know what htgtv and food network if they're all union or not but um it is a path that unfortunately isn't around for a lot of people anymore it's a it's a very difficult thing to become a director yeah that's Uh, a big question is how do you move into that chair and the, the thing that was really wonderful uh for a lot of people there. I mean, there are a lot of directors, people have, who have uh, spawned from MTV who have gone on to become great directors. Glenn Weiss, I remember, was was one of them. There was a bunch of people. Have, Mark Pellington, Peter Lau. Exactly. Oh, Pellington. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Demi. Peter, I mean, it's exactly. nuts. Right. There are. Is Can't that, problems. but they, they had the opportunity to explore all these different genres. She, I think you went into remote control, game yeah. show. Uh-huh. Then from game show, you, that, did you do the talk show with? I did. I did like, I, you know, when Milt left, I kind of became the senior director. So I did all the big music shows. I uh, launched Unplugged and did half of that series. Um, I started doing pilots. I did. Um, I didn't do the pilot, but I did several episodes of the Ben Stiller show, which was the MTV show before he got the Fox show. That was when MTV still made you put videos in the programming at right, some point. Right. They were all just rappers. But and here's the thing, but you're doing, she's doing genres that she's never done before as yeah. the director. Traditionally, you go, oh, well, we're going to do a music show. We're going to do Unplug. Let's find somebody who has music experience. Right. But at MTV, it was like, who's our directors? She's a yeah. senior director. You're going to direct 
this this and music. any given day you were doing a new show you know we'd have like a show like the week in rock every we'd have music performances we would do comedy things you know i did i started doing comedy on mtv i did a half hour comedy hour with carol donovan and um and then you know i started getting asked to do the pilots on the show and i did the pilot for a late night talk show with john stewart and right. that is the show that, you know, we launched on MTV and then it got syndicated by Paramount to replace the Arsenio Hall show. And that's what I left MTV for. And that was my first job in the DGA. So, uh, all right. Is this a quantum leap then to say, OK, how do we go from this to Saturday Night Live? Is, is there no, something we need to talk about in between not here? scary. So <laughs> I'm doing the Jon Stewart show um, in syndication, but like I did at MTV, it's the little engine that could, you do a lot of things like on the late night talk shows. Now they hire a director to do all the single camera comedy pieces. And then there's a director that directs the show. Well, I did everything because <laughs> we had no money and you know, it was the little engine that could. So I was doing the John Stewart show. It was one of my favorite, like three years of my life. And uh, I left MTV. It was a very hard decision. I don't know why. I guess I was very attached to MTV. It's one of those places that when you're there, it's so connective and all of my close friends were there. It was very hard to leave the company, um, but I left the company uh, to do that show in syndication and it got canceled <laughs> like yeah. nine months later. Yeah, I remember. So I'm now in New York, in the DGA, first job in the DGA. No connections at all. <laughs> Can't go back to MTV. Hmm. And my show gets canceled. There's nothing going on in New York. Wow. No, give me a year. Give me time? a year. Give me a year. 1994 to 95 was when uh, I did John Stewart. Okay. So it's the spring of 1995. I no job. Uh, about to have no job because they flew us out to California to tell us they were canceling us, but we were on a two week hiatus and they're like, Oh, by the way, you have to do two more weeks of shows to finish knowing you're canceled. Out. Yes. Oh, and that's there's a, a, um, there's a, a, a critic uh, that that's in New York and his name is Joseph Adalian and he hated John. I don't know why, but he didn't. And John was, this is like one of the funniest human beings I've ever been in a room with and smartest. And so brilliantly talented and smart. I'm sure he's eating his words now, but he literally had a column in the New York post or whatever mag, uh, paper he re- wrote for countdown to cancellation. And he would like talk about our show every night cancel as it was being canceled. <laughs> well, he had a vendetta. He what? really didn't like us to, very to much. What purpose? Yeah. Wow. You now had a thing, had a thing about John. <laughs> So, so that summer's kind of tough. <laughs> oh, but what happens is the week the show gets canceled, I get a call from Robert Morton, uh, Hal Gurney had Morty. just, yeah, um, from Morty, uh, Hal Gurney had just left Letterman and Jerry Foley was just starting to direct it. And I get a call from Lauren Michaels' office. Um, I had Keith Raywood, who's one of the set designers on the show, had done a bunch of sets for MTV shows. And I just done this Eagles hell freezes over this, you know, when the Eagles reunited after 14 years Um, and Keith did the set for it. So Keith told Lauren about me because Davey was retiring because they wouldn't let him smoke in the control room. Is that why? Is that why? I knew Davey quite well. And yes. I smokers loved down. that man so much. Loved he was him. so kind and so wonderful to me. Um, I think he was like, it was time, but also they were making uh, 
30 Rock a smoke-free building. And he's like, this is the perfect time. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, so I got calls from both those shows and it's like, oh my God, the only two shows in New York that would be, you know, the next step for me and I would love it. So I met with both of them and originally they were going to have John, uh, who's, who's the director that directs kids in the hall and did second city. Mm. Oh, not Schneider. No, I'm going to no, I'm going to tell you in a second. But anyway, they were going to have him direct Siren Night Live, but he didn't want to do the music. So they were going to hire me just to do update music. And Spade was about to do this thing called Spade in America. It was going to be this like segment. So I started interviewing for that job, too. And um, I kind of felt like that was kind of the next thing for me instead of doing another talk show at the time. And uh, I started interviewing for it and they kept asking for more comedy, more comedy. I'm like, why do they want to see the sketches I've shot? I'm only doing this. And they're like, oh, no, they're thinking about you for the whole show now. And that's when I started having daily panic attacks. And, you know, I met with Lorne and he was lovely and wonderful to me. And Steve Higgins, who was the head writer on the Jon Stewart show, had just gotten hired there as well. And a couple other writers. And that was the year where like they got rid of everybody. Right. That was that last the you know, year after the Farley, Janine Groffle, that, that. Right. Whole right. So um, now did you break new ground there being the first woman director for it was Night? the first woman director. Yeah. I mean, it was Davey and Paul Miller did two seasons. So right. Yeah. Right. I was the third director there. Right. You know, and I was also like this cable weasel and I was, you know, um, everyone that, you know, you know, Gary, everyone had been at Saturday Night Live pretty much since the first show. (laughs) And then there was me. Right, right. (laughs) Since your show of shows. Well, I will say, I've mentioned this to Gary that I used to, when I had a direct a live event show, I would get so nervous. Yeah. And Gary would say to me, oh, you never looked nervous. I'd be, yeah. I was so nervous. How oh. was the first night that you directed? When well, you were, what was that like? Super fun story, Ken, because uh, the first week was uh, Mariel Hemingway hosted. And she um, was known for breaking kind of barriers. She was the woman that kissed Roseanne on TV. And she's uh-huh. the woman that um, she was in that movie, Personal Best, where she kind of had a, a female on female relationship. So uh, one of the writers wrote a uh, monologue where they were introducing pretty much all new cast, except for Timmy Meadows, Norm MacDonald, David Spade. And I think Mark McKinney was there for like three shows before the end of the season. So um they wrote a monologue where she walked around the studio and introduced herself to all the new cast. Mm. And she kind of like brushed the guys aside and they were all like, Oh, Mariel Hemingway. And she was like really into all the women and she this. comes into the control room. They write a beat where she comes into the control room. Oh no, this room is your, the first episode. She, yeah. Flat out kisses me <sighs> on the lips. Oh my God. And then leaves. <laughs> I, so, I remember this. Yeah. So I'm just now putting it together that it was you. Yeah. Never have I ever seen Siren Night Live in person. Never have I ever seen it directed in person. Davey retired. I got hired. Davey was lovely to come and hang out with me the first couple of weeks. But I am literally shitting my pants. (laughs) And now I have to worry about being on camera, which I hate. (sighs) And being kissed by Marielle Hemingway. 
Wow. And so How is that? I can't oh, imagine no, when I'm you kidding. first read that really script. Good kisser, guys. She's a good kisser. <laughs> but, you know, it was a long path. And Lauren's like, okay, we need to cut it down. I'm like, I think we could just not go in the control room. He's like, no, no, no. I want to go in the control room. And then we do it again. He's like, no, nah, I think the path is still too long. And I'm like, hey, how about we don't go to the control and we do this? And he's like, no, no, no. We'll go to the control room. <laughs> we rehearse it again on Friday night. And I'm like, Hey, I got an idea. Let's not. And before I could get it out, he's like, we're going in the control room. room. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. That must have been some. But the worst part about it is my mother, who never knew what I did for a living. And every time I got a new job, she's like, am I going to see you? And I'm like, no, you're not going to see me. I'm in the control room. I'm like behind the camera. So I tell her, no, you're not going to see me. And then the next morning, it's like, I saw you you. that I wasn't going to see you. Yeah. Uh, Good times. times. So you now look, I keep mentioning when I was there, when I, you know, blah, blah, blah. But previously it was a boys club, the writers. It was a boys club when I was there. Of course, there were breakout women. I worked with Julia Louis-Dreyfus, for God's sake. So have you. So obviously the talent was always there, but it was always a male dominated show. It no. still was probably when you got there. So here you are, Maverick again. Did you ever have to navigate difficult waters? Oh, due to yeah, is that? An I mean, lesson? that show. I was to tell you about that show. I was sick to my stomach every day going to work. Sick oh. to my stomach. The first like however many months, and uh, you know the way it worked was they hired me through December, and they would pick up my contract for the rest of the year after December. And when my agent called me and told me they picked up my contract, I cried. (laughs) I don't want to go back. I don't want to go back. I mean, it was a bunch of guys that have been there forever. I'm clearly the wrench being thrown into a very dysfunctional, but well-oiled machine. And um, yeah, there were people that were super mean to me and I had to kind of, you know, managed them. But the good news is the almost the whole cast was new. I knew Norm and Dave from Stand Up, David, and um, you know, Mark McKinney is a love and Tim yeah. Meadows is the sweetest man on the planet. So everybody else had never been on television before. You know, it was Will Ferrell, Sherry O'Terry, Molly had, Shannon. Had Kristen Wiig started yet? No, Kristen was did later. Start. That Not was yet. later. Kristen was Molly there for like my last two seasons, but it was, you know, Sherry and Molly um, Nancy Walls, who was uh, Steve Carell's wife, uh, Keckner, um, uh, Jim Brewer. Uh, and then, you know, soon after it was like Chris Kattan and uh, Anna Gastar got hired and then right. and then on and then on. And um, the show and a lot of the writers were new and I knew Steve Higgins really well. And I knew Dennis McNicholas and Andrew Steele. And those were all guys that I had been working with for years. So that connectivity was there and awesome. Well, it was I did. I understand was the head writer on a pilot that I did with the Higgins boys. Higgins boys and Gruber. Yeah, yeah. Gruber. But it didn't go. But yeah, just uh, throw that in. Um, I love them. Yeah. I love them all. Yeah. No, they, they're great. Iowa uh, boys. Uh, so uh, just before we move on from Saturday Night Live, because there's a bunch of other stuff. Yeah. Is there anything else like the, the story from SNL that you always tell that is like that one night that went horrible or went terrific or was just memorable to you? 
There, I mean, it, you know, there's, so many. there's yeah. so many, like you have that moment, you, you're like scared shitless for like six or eight months. And then you're walking the hallways on the 17th floor and all the cast photos are up. And then all the pictures of like the famous sketches are up. And then you're like, holy shit. Like, who did I, you know. That's terrific that you take that moment. Oh, yeah. you totally. And you have that moment more than once. And then mm. somebody hosts and you're like, oh, my God. Or you're yeah. in, you know. Um, OK, is I'm there any one host that stands out in a good way or a bad uh, way? There's so many of them that are amazing. I mean, okay. Alec was always amazing. John Goodman was always amazing. Tom Hanks is always amazing. Right. I loved working with Jerry and Julia. And yeah, I mean, uh, the well, people you, that fortunately you didn't have Robert Blake. I didn't have Robert Blake and I didn't have Steven Seagal. Okay. Oh, you poor thing. Yeah, Robert Blake wiped his ass with a script that I wrote. Um, that, that is nice. I, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I didn't care at all, but it comes up all the time online. People say, are you hurt? I didn't care. I have just one more SNL question. Yeah. Because it really. I have one more after your one more, which would all be. Right, okay. no, an it was a long time. I, I get your question. You, I mean, it's a who's who of people in comedy and, and, and beyond. But Will Ferrell, to me, will always be the standout comedian who carved a niche Fun. like no other human being. Could you tell from the beginning? Because he just started with you. I will tell you that when I first got there, because the, the cast was hired before I got hired. And, uh, you know, I was in the, in the offices for a couple of weeks before uh, the season started. And um, everyone's like making jokes. And, and Will was pretty quiet. And I was like, hmm, you know. I wonder, I wonder why this guy got hired. And then you went to the first table read and you were like, oh my God. That's why. And he's the thing that's great about Will is he's hilariously funny in person. He's one of the funniest people I know, but he isn't always on, like he's not right. always trying to do a bit. Um, and the other thing about Will that a lot of people don't know is he's such a great writer because he would write a couple sketches by himself and then they would just come up at the table read like he wrote cowbell by himself. Oh, really? I didn't know I that. So. Yeah. yeah. Um, he wrote this hilarious sketch after watching the movie, the ice storm where um, people are sitting and eating and they're just making a lot of noise with their plates. And then they're talking and asking questions. And then he just starts screaming at the table. And it's one of the funniest sketches. He just makes me laugh so hard. Um, you know, at the the amount of people that have come through my life that I've had a front row seat uh, of watching their comedic genius is just ridiculous. I mean, between yeah. Will and Sherry and Mom. And, and Kristen Wiig is another for me. Kristen it's just sublime. Nina Faye. Well, that was what I was going to segue to. So uh, the, the first the last SNL question I have was regarding did you do any of the short films? No, I would only do ones that we could shoot in the studio. Like Tina wrote this like okay. commercial teeny weenies and I would write, but Jim Signorelli would write, would direct. Right, right. And the reason I'm making this a question is because up to this point, she's a control room, multi-camera director. Yes, correct. She's not doing single camera or multi-camera coverage kind of directing. And then from there, so you then from there, you're moving on. Is it 30 Rock your next? Does Tina well, take it's I on? left SNL and started doing half hours. But, you know, when I did the John Stewart show, I shot all the single camera, you know, 
commercial okay. you know, parodies and things like that. Okay. And I would do some stuff at SNL, but you're right, Kenny. I did mostly multicam stuff. I would do some pilots. Um, while I was at SNL, I did the pilot for Reno 911 at the time for Fox. Uh, Carol Donovan and I did it. Um, so I was doing, uh, you know, I did a Nickelodeon show and a couple other things, but not much. And when I left SNL, uh, <laughs> uh, I left because it was time to go. 11 years is hard. It's a hard show to do. It's it's taxing on your being as a yeah. whole. And I had a, a son who was very young and I was up all day and up all night. And it was, I'm like, I, I am not going to live much longer if I <laughs> stay working here. Sure. I had to go. So when I started doing half hours, the first year was rough. It was, you know, I made half my salary. I um, went to like events at the DJ in New York to like meet the showrunners and try to, you know, and all the directors there that were all looking for work. They're like, you left a full time job in New York. Why? And I'm like, <laughs> and um, you like the right thing to do. Oh, time. And God bless Tina Fey because Tina and I always had a really great working relationship. And she, by the way, is one of the most genius human oh, beings. Also sublime. Yeah. And also one of the loveliest human beings. Like I have had that combo more often than not. Wow. Which is an absolute miracle that not only are they unbelievably brilliantly talented, they're also some of the finest human beings I've met mm -hmm. as well. And, you know, I would sit across from them and have a meal with them tomorrow and have the best time of my life. Um, Tina and I worked together really, really well. And she gave me an episode of 30 Rock. And it was this episode called The Rural Juror. It was the first season. And just happened that when it aired, an article came out about how 30 Rock was finding its legs. And really, it was when the critics were really going nuts about it. And an article was like, right around the rural juror. And then all bets were off. I got lots of jobs after that. Fantastic. Yeah. Now, uh, now, here's my question. Was that your first single camera half hour? No, I had done a couple other shows. Yeah. And then didn't you find it interesting? And for me, coming from multi-camera too, and then when I, I did a couple, I did even Stevens, which was single camera. But there was so much hesitance from them to hire me because it would always be like you do multi-camera, you don't know single camera. And then once I did single camera, I was like, this is fantastic. There's yeah. only one camera. <laughs> and every time I would do a different setup, the, the lighting guy would say, Hey, I need another half hour. Yeah. And I get a break. You know, I yeah, okay, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, the funny thing I found when I was, and I'm sure you found it too, when I started doing single camera is, you know, if there was a prop that needed to be ha to happen and people were like, oh my God, oh my God, we got to get it. I'm like, it's a 30 minute turnaround. Like <laughs> yeah. try to get that prop in 18 seconds. Right, yeah, Gary? Yeah. Like <laughs> how many times they're counting down to SNL back right. on the air. And I see a couch coming in yeah, and the cast right. on the yeah. side and them jumping on and two, one and, yeah. up, you know, and a bald cap being removed. And, yeah. And that was one of the greatest things that Saturday Night Live taught me. Yes, was. it was. You, yeah, know, you asked me a question on when we were talking before. I thought it was a good question to ask. What? I had a question to me. You said. The thing that non-directors want to oh, know. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. I'm a non-director because you guys could talk shop forever. And it's yeah. interesting, of course. But I'm less interested in, in your blocking procedure or one camera, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. I'm always interested in how the resilience or the thought process when things go wrong. 
like when the writer writes a script one way, you set it up and the DP says, I, you can't shoot it that way. And you've got to make decisions on the fly. Do you have stories like that where you? Well, I mean, Saturday Night Live was the greatest experience for that. And that's why I'm good at that now is because, you know, those meetings happen at 1045 at night, 11 o'clock at night, and we go on the air at 1130. And there were times where, you know, I had to completely reblock a sketch or I'm in a commercial break and they've taken one of my scripts out and cut like five different uh, lines out of the, the script, including like the line that the actor was crossing to the door on or, <laughs> right. you know, a camera was line. in a different mood. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I had to learn how to, you know, I'd be in the meeting at 1045 and they'd like, oh, we want to pull this up. And I'm like, okay, but he's over here. And then he's over here for this. And they're like, okay, well, what can we do? And I started kind of having to edit in my head. So, yeah. um, Saturday Night Live gave me that skill, uh, and I do, and I and I don't take it for granted because I have watched other directors that aren't used to that kind of oh my god this is falling apart we have to fix it. Um, I think it's a very difficult skill, and I got thrown into the fire for it, but uh, it's a very valuable skill. I compare everything as Kenny knows to the Beatles. So SNL was your Hamburg. Yeah. <laughs> right. It was eight hours a day playing, doing bennies yeah. and things to stay. Well, I know you weren't doing bennies, but it was, was figuring things out on the fly in real time. Yes. And fixing them in real time, because with that experience, the rest of the world gets a lot easier, doesn't it? It really does. I mean, I, I, I do not sweat almost anything on a single camera set at this point. That's awesome. Well, your, your list of shows, what Veep and Community and the Kaminsky Myth, I mean, it's that's the creme de la creme. It's like it's the pick nuts. of the litter. I am the luckiest knock on wood human being on the planet. I mean, uh, I, when I look at my uh, IMDb page, I'm like, yeah, there's not many stinkers in there. And, and you know, yeah. look, you have to take work and you have to get experience and you have to do shows. Um, but I have been so blessed, whether it was you know, um, Parks and Rec and The Good Place, Michael Schur was a writer on SNL and he hired me, you know, uh, you know, Tina at 30 Rock. Um, I David Mandel, of course, yeah, who's done Dave, our show. But, but you know what? I didn't know Dave. You know how I met Dave was he came as a writer when Seinfeld, host, when Jerry hosted SNL. So that's the first time I met Dave. He wasn't a writer when I was there. I think like the only leftovers when I was there were like Tim Hurley and Steve Corin. And I don't even know if they were around. Well, there must be something to your success. If you had to like disposition, I don't listen. I know a lot of directors, some directors, you know, they're very, you know, aggressive on the, as far as working with the cameras and make and budget wise. And they're like, you know, I've been, I've also been on shows where all they care about is moving fast, moving fast, moving yes. fast, where it was, you know, it's, that's that's the only thing you know so they'll hire director based on oh yeah he he always gets us out on time or this director is good because maybe they're they like to hire actors because they think there's a a, you know connection to the connection to the actors so you get there must be something that you would have to say i do that i bring to the party i will say Probably some of the skills, well, you know how they say everything you learned, you learned in kindergarten. I grew up in a house. I'm the youngest of nine. Um, Catholic? A lot of, yeah, Irish Catholic. Um, 
a lot of strong personalities. Every single person in my family is, uh, you know, an established professional or has, you know, gone more than college degree, which I am the dumbest person in my family. I've only had I'm the dumbest in mine. Yeah. <laughs> I knew I loved you, Gary. Um, but, uh, you know, I had to manage a lot of personalities, I guess, from when I was little. And I think that really is successful for me on set. And the other thing about comedy as opposed to drama is comedy is a group effort. It's always a group effort. I think even when you're a director and it's your episode and it's episodic, you know, first of all, you always have to make the show look like the show. You can't, you know, have it be so different that it doesn't feel like the show. And you know, anybody has a good idea. Anybody can make something funnier. And uh, I've always been open to that. And maybe and maybe that's why people like to work with me, because it's not my way or the highway. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think I have a good sense of humor. So I think, you know, I can kind of filter and figure out what's working and not working. So maybe those are the things. But um, I tend to make my sets pleasant because I think the uh, creative comedic experience is much better when everyone is relaxed and comfortable as opposed to tense and not happy. Um, So maybe that's why I will say this. The hardest thing about directing half hours is you have to laugh at the jokes that you keep showing to the network, to the producers. Every time you stand up, Pete, you have as the director, you have to laugh over and over at the same joke that you've heard a number of times, because <laughs> if they don't hear you laugh, everybody wor- worries if it's funny or not. Yeah. And a multicam. Yeah. Yeah. Well, now, who gets the last word? I'm asking both of you. Well, it's always uh, a show is it the showrunner. Yeah. I mean, showrunner always does. But if you have a good relationship with the showrunner, like on 30 Rock, I had a great relationship with Tina and Robert Carlock. So um, they they trusted my instincts a lot. And if it was something that they, they didn't think was going to work, they're like, no, no, we're not doing that Beth. But I w- I felt comfortable pitching them. Like when I go to a new show, like the first time I did a modern family, I kind of backed off and did what they, you know, what I felt, you know, we needed in the script. I didn't jump out and, you know, give a bunch of ideas and stuff like that. But I think once I get comfortable on a show and I usually do multiple episodes of the shows that I work on, um, you know, I'll go, Hey, how about if we shoot this kind of like this, or would it be fun? That was a unique modern family has a kind of different way of shooting their shows. Didn't they? They shoot. Well, I mean, talk about semi documentary. It's doc style. So it's one, two camera setup and it's something that you have to get used to. And it also is something that you have to kind of figure out. You get laughs out of that style of directing, you know, it's so it's a little bit of different blocking when you're thinking about it. Um, that's a nut like Chris Lloyd and Steve Levitan. I mean, I, the people I've been able to work with, it's just nuts. Well, <laughs> no, what's the homework then? So let's say you're, you're, you want a modern family. You got a modern, you just watch show after show. You pick up consistent well, camera angles, styles, rack. What focus. I normally do is if it's a new show and it hasn't been on the air yet, um, or even if it is an established show, I usually ask the showrunner to send me their three favorite episodes mm-hmm. because that way, they're usually sending me an episode that they liked the writing, they liked the acting and they liked the camera work. So, um, and then you watch a show and you watch several episodes of it and you kind of figure out, you know, it took me a few episodes to figure out modern family, you know, Ty can 
can get a joke out of just doing a quick look to the lens or, you know, oh, maybe this joke will work better if the camera's just here and they go through frame, you know, because you do one, two camera setup, lighting setup. And you, if someone comes in a door and it's over there, you swing the camera and go get the, you know, um, the shot. Uh, And sometimes like swinging a camera and landing on something is a funnier joke than it coming into the lens or, you know, so well, you that's true. In to Veep that too, is that we yeah. Had. I was just yeah. going to say, yeah. we had Brad Hall on the show and he directed a Veep, of course, or yeah. a few Veeps. And he said the exact same thing. So Veep is similar in its yes. format, right? As and, and Veep family. also, you know, there is such a cohesiveness with like, you don't even understand what Julia and Tony bring to their scenes that aren't even on the page. You know what I mean? Um, all that karaoke stuff and some of it's written, but some of it, you know, you find on set. So I, I find that like um, rehearsals of some shows are, you know, you rehearse once, maybe go through it a second time and then you start lighting. But on a show like Veep, sometimes you spend a half an hour, you know, kind of working the scene out and making sure everything's kind of flowing and working and where we can add something or, you know, it sounds like a lot of fun to me. That really sounds like playing in the sandbox. It's so much fun. Getting just to play in the sandbox and do that is sounds great. I mean, even just to sit and watch those comedic geniuses. (laughs) I think I mentioned to you that um, I love doing just anecdotes without saying names and things like that. Yeah. You know, um, Kenny likes uh, the dirt worst. Ex- I, well, it's just I think some people, you know, they do like those kind of sensational stories. Like I, when one of the shows that I was doing, which I don't have to name, that's so Raven. Uh, <laughs> I was doing the show, and uh, in the middle, while we're doing a scene, all of a sudden there's screaming, have hysterical screaming, and just crazy screaming, and the. The, the the mother of one of the kids comes out on the floor uh-huh. and starts screaming at um, Raven's father, who was on the set every day, standing right there. By oh, the way, he like considered himself the co-director because he would literally direct while she was performing. And she's a beautiful woman. Raven's lovely. She's lovely. I work with her on Blackish. She's lovely. Yeah. She's a sweetheart. Um, but her father was bizarre. Anyhow, uh, the the they got into such a ma- fighting match between the two because he had parked in her parking spot. Ooh. Well, we all know about parking spots. We now. all know about parking. And so the whole day was called off and everybody was dad parked in daughter's parking spot. That's and, it. And they got into it. So that was, that's, that, that's kind of like a bad moment in my life. And it I'm reminds me very much of the last season of curb with the, the father and the daughter. In the oh, show. He sat in Larry's chair. So oh, broke right, off. right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. funny. Um, God, I've had, you know, I've definitely had awful experiences. The first season we had a host come who was terrible. Um, oh, and come he on, you ho- can say who. Host can you say who? That been there several times. And uh he was really mean to the cast. They were all new and he was really mean to them. He's really mean to me. He kept calling me Davy. Um, and uh, he was just really difficult and really awful. And it was like my third episode or my fourth episode. And I was like, God, do I really have to go through this? And um, one of the writers on the show, who's absolutely lovely and had been there for a while, was like, I'm going to tell you a story about him. 
and it's going to make you get through the rest of the weekend. <laughs> I was wow. like, okay. And he told me this great story about him where basically he was doing some things that were cut up in baby laxative and he shit his pants in front of an audience and had to go back and change his clothes and then go back out and continue his show because he had shit his pants in front of a live audience. And it got me through the rest of the weekend. And every time he was a jerk to me, all my head was like, you shit your pants in front of a bunch of people. That's so amazing. I don't really care how you feel about me. I and think I figured out who it is. And we you know don't exactly who it is. <laughs> I do know who it is. And, and I've had, well, an uncomfortable experience with that person as well. That person. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank yeah. you for sharing, Beth. Yeah. You're welcome. Well, okay. So but the, there's always, you know, you know, Robert Blake wiped his ass with my script. There are also great stories. of people, Unbelievable. You, you've shared plenty already. But of all the hosts going back to SNL, can you think of one that was just like, wow. For me, it was Ringo. I love Ringo Starr. You worked with Ringo on? Um, no, I never no, worked with him. No, never worked I with him. never worked well, with him. Ringo was, gave me a drum lesson. I mean, t- told me stories about being waiting for the curtain to open on the Ed Sullivan show. And for a Beatle freak to hear yeah. that perspective. That's right. And it was as kind as kind yes. as be. I've worked with Sir Paul several times. And Sir he's Paul, yeah. lovely as well. Um, and it was funny because uh, the first time I worked with him, we did an interview on MTV and uh, my friend, uh, Jenna Rossitano, who would fight you as being the biggest Beatle fan in the planet. She was going to take telling, that as a challenge. You guys should I'm going to win. wrestle it out. And um, we, after it, she's like, I just can't believe how nice he is. And I'm like, I know, I know. I'm like, what? he have to be not nice about he's a beetle he married the love of his life he's got this fabulous family what does he, he have to be a billion a dollars about? well that's what yeah. i always say Idolized. if i was a billionaire you know i'd be the happiest person in the world he is the loveliest man in the world he is lovely. if i was rich and famous you know how delightful i would be i know so funny um i will say uh when uh somebody hosted who i won't name um uh we had Michael Palin and um, Michael Palin and John Cleese on the show, and they did the dead parrot sketch. Yes, <laughs> and the whole cast sat up and watched them rehearse that, and we just watched it for hours. It was so heavenly and so cool, and I was like. I, I never worked with Cleese, but I worked with Palin and oh. I, I played a young Mark Twain and I'm learning everything from him as an old riverboat captain. And he was so funny, so kind, so generous, so patient, so lovely. He was a beetle. He was everything I wanted a, my, uh, a python to be. Yeah. yeah. Th- those experiences. Moments like that. And the 25th anniversary, two moments in the 25th anniversary. One was we're doing the cold open. And it's Danny, Lorraine, Garrett, Billy, and who else? Forget who else. So Jane Curtin, who you know didn't do a lot of stuff in, with reunions and stuff, came by to see everybody. And we were in the middle of rehearsing, and Billy goes, we have to mark this occasion. And he orders champagne from the Rainbow Room and brings it downstairs and we're all sitting on the floor of 8H and toasting. And I'm sitting there with 
three quarters of the original cast of Saturday Night Live and toasting with them and going, who the hell let me in the door? It was like bonkers. Could you imagine if you had cell phones? Everybody yeah. would be doing cell phones. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I would yeah. be unbelievable. I mean, it was just it was just ridiculous that I was I even allowed in that room at that moment. Like those kind of moments are just insane. I, you know, That's your wonderful. career is, is so illustrious. I, I pale in comparison, but I, I and Kenny, you can say. Well, I yelled at her and I think that motivated her. Well, I, yeah. Uh, quite a lot. <laughs> Back, but I look at my life as a pinch me. It's a pinch me life. Did I yeah. really get this experience? Did I really meet? I met Sir Paul, but not yeah. your experience, but to work with Ringo and the things it's pinch me. Pinch yeah. Me. Is it's this real? That, well, in your pinch me life, can you talk about what you're doing right now? Uh, I'm doing a show. So I started working on, I worked on the Kaminsky method and I met Chuck Lorre there. Talk about another. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> just like, it just keeps coming. It's yeah, just nuts. the people you don't have to think about shitting their pants. It's just, those are the good people. Nuts. So, um, Chuck, uh, asked me to do a pilot for the show and it's called Bob Hart's Abishola. And, um, it, uh, stars Billy Gardell and Falaki Oluwafuneku. Uh, we have a lot of fabulous Nigerian actors on the show. Um, it's about a guy who has a heart attack and falls in love with the Nigerian nurse that takes care of him. And it's the melding of these two families. And, um, there are incredible actors on it. Uh, so uh, that's the show you're doing right now? I do that. Yeah. Oh. And I've pretty much been doing that full time. But, can we but go back I to the Kaminsky that. method? Because yes. you're talking Michael Douglas and Alan Arkin. So I'm I just mean, curious how that was. Nuts. Are they great to work with? I mean, I worked with Michael Douglas. Nuts. Michael Douglas is an absolute dreamboat. That guy mm -hmm. is such a good actor and he is so gracious and he's wonderful on a set and he um, he's great on that show. And Alan Arkin, I mean, I mean, genius. my goodness, nuts. And then Paul Reiser ended up playing like a big part in the last season. He was um, uh, Michael Douglas's daughter's uh, fiance and ends up marrying him. And I had a moment on that show, which was bonkers. So one of my favorite movies is Diner. I mean, Barry Levinson. Yeah, yeah, so it gets written in my episode. I only got to do one episode the last season because I was doing Bob Hart's episode and Chuck didn't want me away too long. So on my episode, Morgan Freeman was on it. Nuts. Mm. Um, and then Barry Levinson played a role. Michael Douglas gets a part doing a remake of Old Man in the Sea. So I shoot this big movie scene. With Alan, with Michael Douglas playing, you know, uh, old the old man, um, you know, fighting the sharks, you know, big big CGI, big visual effects, and Barry Levinson's in the episode, and then Paul Reiser's on the show. So I'm on set with Paul Reiser, who you fall in love with in Diner. He's so amazing, and Barry Levinson, and it's like this is nuts. Um, Kaminsky is such a great special show. And also, you know, Kathleen Turner, it was like a, uh, 
it was a little reunion between Michael yeah. and Kathleen. I Turner picked her nose. I life. picked her nose. That that's pretty impressive. I that's did my pinch pick, me life. I, I did not pick her nose when I worked with her, but I did get to work with her. And was she, she um, incapable of picking her own nose? She, it was a sketch where I was an old man who uh, trimmed people's nose hairs in the lobby of a hotel. Okay. <laughs> uh, that's as much as we need to talk about right now. All right, at least it was, it was one of show. my clients. I didn't know whether that's or not awesome. it was an SNL sketch. He was a client of yours. I like. He was that. a client of mine. Yeah. Going back to directing, two questions that uh, I don't know whether or not people are bored about them. Music. Music is, I'm not musical. And it took, I had to learn, as a matter of fact, my AD who taught me, who's Sarah De La O. I don't know if you know Sarah. I don't. She, she directs The View. Oh, she okay. taught me how to do music. Yeah. I, I didn't know bars or anything like that. So she counted, she had a stopwatch. And that's how I did music. Yeah. How do you do music? Well, I kind of, it's kind of nuts. So at MTV, we didn't learn the counting measures. And also they count up the old DGA method of, and the first time I AD'd a music show was for um, Scott Fishman. He was doing the La Bamba premiere party okay. and he did it, had me do it uh, with a stopwatch. Well, right. it was like Marshall Crenshaw who plays never at the same pace ever. <laughs> so nothing was on. So I just started counting bars of music. Oh, you could do that. Yeah, I was. I'm very musically. I, I'm a huge music fan. Okay. Uh, I DJed all through college. I played piano growing up, but I'm not like, you know. Okay. Because I, I had no clue how to do band, music but until I, yeah. Sarah taught me. And when I say use a stopwatch so people know the song starts as soon as it's 30 seconds to the trombone. Yes. 15 exactly. seconds to the guitar and but the like way that. the way they do it with um, counting measures, the way the old school way is like, you know, it's like, uh, um, you know, four to the uh, three to the guitar two one, two, three guitar. And I did it like guitar and eight, seven. So I would count bars. You know, I would right. just count down yeah, eight. Yeah. And uh, I started doing that a lot for Milt. And Scott and I started teaching all the ads that directly. Well, I got to tell you that, that, that I mean your skill set is remarkable and very unique. I don't know any person who has the range of uh, genres that you 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 do. Well, yeah, you don't even know anybody maybe. that can do it. Uh, your friend who is a Beatle fan, right? Yes, she might watch this podcast, right? Yes, Jenna, she might. Mm-hmm. Oh, she's going to be so. It's a left-handed Hofner bass because <laughs> close your eyes cool. and I'll kiss you. Cool. I'm a left-hander. I'm a yeah, left-hander. Left is that like Paul McCartney's bass? This is Paul, Paul McCartney's, McCartney's bass. This is a Beatle bass. That's an absolute replica. Yeah, it's an absolute replica. Doesn't the blood <laughs> rush to your stomach? Yes, I'm a Beatle freak. I got to tell you, I watched. There's a show that's on Amazon called Red Oaks. Have you seen it? We had Richard Kind on. Oh. oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So it's about, you know, a country club in the mid 80s. Yeah, it's yeah. really great. I would suggest you watch it. If no, you absolutely. I did. I did. Watch. My, my daughter absolutely loves the show. But the series finale was so great. And they used Ringo's song Photograph as like oh, the finale. So the it was so great. It was such a great finale song. Oh, yeah. It was oh, yeah. so good. Mm. Well, oh, we gotta, well, Gary, you got to tell Richard Kind what Beth said because he, I will. Very happy. I, he I, will, proud of that. I will tell Richard when I speak to him. Mm -hmm. yeah. I'll get on the phone with Richard. I love that show. And they'd ask me to do it. <laughs> 
Beth, I was. I think you, you know, are marvelous. <laughs> I'm doing Richard, if you can't I've tell. Never, I've <laughs> never worked with him, but I love him. And I loved that show. Um, and they had called me to do an episode, but I was going to have to go back to the East Coast. And I was out here and it just didn't work out. And I never saw it. And then I watch it. And I'm like, God damn it. Why didn't I do that show? Like there's certain shows that I'm like, oh, I wish I did an episode. Like I tried to um, call and see if I could get an episode of Schitt's Creek. Oh, yeah. Found it and fell in love with it. But that, it was like their last two seasons and they had all the directors and like Ted Lasso. I would do tomorrow. Sure. I'm just uh, I've been watching the Righteous Gemstones. Have you seen it? Oh, I haven't. Do you like it? I do. It's, it's John Goodman. It's Danny. You'd be great. Yeah. And yeah. Danny McBride is so talented. He's and so isn't good. isn't oh, uh, God, Adam yes. in that too? Adam. Uh, uh, oh, my God. I love him. I'm having a total brain fart at work with him. Mm. I'm Modern Family and I love him. Yeah. Um, that's a good show. Yeah, you should. You should check that out. You'd be marvelous with that show. I just watched Afterlife. Have you watched that? that oh, yes. Yeah. What is, well, is this is season three. three. Is that oh, this is season three? And well, you haven't uh, seen it pre previously. I had never seen watching? it. I watched the whole thing. Oh, I, well, I, I had yeah. COVID. I binged the whole thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's only six uh, episodes, three seasons. Oh, my God. He's so I, great. He's a genius. Best he's thing gonna, he's ever done. Yeah, so, I'm going to look that up. Well, for me, it's extras. Although this is so much more extras is great. Relevant. The office is great. This right. just this, has this has depth. That's oh, my uncanny. God. I know. You're so like that, uh, last question from. Yeah. Me. Are you going to go another 25 years? Do you direct till you're dead? I mean, I don't see any no. sign of you. Saying, I, I'm going to be hey, directing when I'm dead. My, Gary, you, what kind of question? I don't see that? any <laughs> sign of you saying I'm going to retire with. No, you know what I'm going to do? My son graduates from high school next year. We're going to move back to the East Coast and then I'm going to work for pleasure only. And, you know, not probably work as much and, you know, spend a little more free time. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't know when I would stop directing. I love it. I you love, love it. What I you can just well, she's in a position it. that, you know, where she can pick and choose, which is very yeah. nice. But there's a yeah. lot of I mean, the life of a lot of directors and it's changed dramatically because of everything that's going on. Yeah. You know, uh, and the opportunities have become less and less for a lot of people is they ha they they get whatever show they can get. Yes. And she can pick the people that she wants to work with, which is fantastic. But there are those instances, and I've been there, where you walk in and everybody hates you. You don't yeah. realize that the AD who you're working with was promised an episode on the show and you got it. Yeah. And they want you out. Or the yes. DP was promised to direct and he's going to do everything to jeopardize. But I've had that. I have that. And I've had that happen in recent years, too. You know, it is. I always used to hate there was one show I went on um, several times and I would always get the episode after the DP directed <laughs> <laughs> and he'd be so mad. He was DPing again and yeah. he'd just treat me like garbage for like three days and then I'd win him over. Right, but, right. you know, it's, you know, it, it's such a, it's such a great thing to be able to make something, especially in television right now. TV is like such a great place to be working. Right Isn't that now. interesting? Isn't that interesting? Has has this show been a 40 year healing for you from <laughs> Ken being kind of an asshole boss? It's not an such asshole a boss. Host? I was just mm. laughing about the fact that 
I was like somebody's assistant. <laughs> I just love Kenny getting mad. That's he wasn't mad. He was just like Kenny's so nice. I just air. love the thought that he, he was impatient. Oh, great! How lucky was I that that was my first boss? You're very wow. look. Look, you're lucky. Kenny's lucky. I'm lucky to know Kenny and to meet you, Beth. <laughs> I, 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 we're going to let well, you go back to your life. Yeah, you're we're going to let Beth. you go back to your life. It we was so in good. Touch. To I'd love. You. I'd, love to, I'd love to sit, go out in real life. Yeah, that would be great. You guys are on the same coast. Come here. Do you want want to know what the temperature is here in Iowa? Minus nine. Minus nine. Oh, I'm in Iowa. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's not even with the wind. The wind chill, it's minus 100. You know, it's minus I, can, I don't understand history where pioneers were going across the country. The, the wagon Iowa, wheel broke and down. And they had a bad winter. And they said, <laughs> this, this is, we'll Let's stay, stay. Stuffing, we're staying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, the wagon wheel broke down and no one was smart enough to fix it. And they said, well, oh, but you know, the Higgins boys and Andrew, yeah. Stoll, all those no, guys I, from Iowa. There's true. funny. There's funny in the water in funny. Iowa, Gary. That's true. Look, Iowa I, is. I'm no here. Question. That's I'm hilarious here. water that you're drinking. <laughs> yeah. Well, when it melts. Yeah. <laughs> it will be. Yeah. Thank you, Beth. Thank you sure, so much. So great Thank to you. see you guys. Such a pleasure. Thanks. Bye.